Welcome to the Free Kit Martin Podcast. My name is Crystal McKenzie. My partner is Stacy Stone. She is the mother of three of Chris Martin's children. The perfect partner in crime, if you ask me. Chris Martin, who his military friends would later nickname Kit, is a wrongfully convicted American hero. Kit's story dates back to his birth, 1968. He grew up in an average middle-class military family. His father retired from the Air Force, served in Vietnam. One of his sisters also retired in the Air Force after serving in the nurse corps. Kit's mother, she grew up in England and later became an American citizen. Now, the family moved extensively in the Air Force, and Kit utilized the time to earn the prestigious Eagle Scout designation. With the family military history at age 17, Kit decided to join the United States Army Reserves. Now, he learned to be a Calvary Scout while attending the University of Nebraska. Upon graduating college with honors, he earned a full Army commission as a full-time Army officer. Kit met his first love, Stacy, my partner in crime. They were married for 13 years and were blessed with three children. He had hoped that resigning from the Army would save his marriage, but it did not. After the marriage ended on good terms, Kit met his next wife, or so he thought. Her name was Joan Harmon Guerra. When tragedy struck America over 9-11, Kit believed it was his duty once again to join the active military. His new wife, Joan, eagerly supported his decision. Kit later learned that her support was motivated by her desire to alienate him from his biological children and family. He would also learn that their military travels assisted her in covering her tainted and horrific past. The distance would also be beneficial for covering lies pertaining to her biological children. Although Kit had resigned from active duty, he had continued to serve in the National Guard and trained to become a military helicopter pilot. He eventually flew almost all types of helicopters available to the military. He even flew four tours during the Gulf War and earned numerous honors. His 30-year military career was incredibly impressive. And then one day, the truth about his beloved, Joan, began to surface. He noticed lie after lie, her history, and even three biological children's history. None of it was adding up, like the picture that Joan had painted to Kit. When he eventually asked her for a divorce, she exclaimed, I will ruin you. I will ruin your career. I know how to do it. I'll say you abused me. He filed for divorce only to find that she was not married to him to begin with. She was already married to Carlos Guerra. They were never divorced. When she told Kit, I will ruin you, this American hero's life was about to change. A court martial, a triple murder, and four life sentences later, our American hero sits in a Kentucky prison, wrongfully convicted. And this is an American tragedy. Welcome to the Free Kit Martin Podcast. My name is Crystal McKenzie. The ex-wife of Kit Martin is Stacey Stone. We advocate for freedom of this innocent man. This is the Free Kit Martin movement. We have 108 DNA samples with zero connected to Kit. No evidence connected to Kit Martin. And guess who was caught with the victim's phone? Joan, join us as we dive in to the Dirty Dozen and more. Twist turns, and corruption uncensored. We're happy that you're here. And today, we are joined by the man who wrote the book on this story. We're about to find out when the book drops, and let me just tell you, it's days away. Let's welcome right back to the podcast here, Emilio Corsetti. And you can find his thoughts on this entire case by hitting him up on his website, EmilioCorsetti.com. 
We cannot wait, Emilio. Welcome back to the show. And let's begin by talking about the Supreme Court decision, which we hope comes down this week, January 8th. They start talking again. And let's hope that the Kip Martin case is front row center on the reconsideration from the Kentucky Supreme Court. You know, I know that the first appeal was based on the fact that hearsay evidence was allowed. Right. Uh, Also, that the appeal actually just says that they were appealing the fact that Joan and Elijah was allowed to plead the fifth. It did not go on to say that they didn't have to come before the jury, which I think was huge. To me, it was. The jury never knew that they had pleaded the fifth. In fact, Judge Atkins did not allow the attorneys to even tell the jury or mention it that that they had pleaded the fifth. Also, that the evidence of the bullet casing was actually discovered, it says, by a lay witness, which was actually, you know, a family member, and that that family member had failed a polygraph examination, and also that the direct verdict had been denied for the arson and murder charges and allowed conviction on two counts of first-degree burglary to stand in violation of double jeopardy. And it goes into it and the Supreme Court, you know, four of them upheld the decisions except for the arson. And there were two judges, Nickel and Conley, who actually came back and said, you know, that the hearsay evidence should not be. And I'm summarizing it, but that the hearsay evidence should not be allowed because, it, you know, it painted him in such a bad light and left such a taste in the jury's, you know, in their opinion, um, it painted him in such a bad light that it was overwhelming. And Supreme Court Justice Nickel actually said with the underwhelming evidence that that decision should be reversed and that he would remand it for a new trial. Right. And Conley also felt that way. So that's kind of what went on with unless Emilio has something else to add to that. You're talking about the the, uh, the original appeal, right? Right, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. That just came back on October 23rd from the Kentucky Supreme Court. And one of them was, was the hearsay. And the dissenting opinions was, was mostly disagreeing on the decision concerning the hearsay evidence. So the appeal attorneys um, used partly uh, the dissenting opinion to go back to the Supreme Court to have them take another look at, at their ruling regarding the hearsay evidence. And it was a smart thing to do because once it once they rule, it becomes precedent. So if you have a case where um, you're allowing hearsay evidence as pretty much your, your primary evidence against someone who, who then gets convicted, then you're setting a precedent um, where hearsay evidence is given more weight than it should. Right. Yes. From what I read in this, in previous decisions, even on murder charges, very similar to this, they had not, the Supreme Court had decided not to allow hearsay evidence. So that was one thing that the Justice Nickel mentioned is that we have not allowed this before. Now we're allowing it. Yeah, see, it's a little bit convoluted because the ruling that was used is called 
forfeiture by wrongdoing. So in other words, if I kill somebody who's going to testify against me, I can't benefit from his death by not being able to testify by killing him, right? So you forfeit that the protection, the hearsay protection when you do that. Well, the problem is um, if there was any forfeiture by wrongdoing, it was for the court-martial and Calvin Phillips about testifying against him. The murder trial is, is a separate thing. So that, that complicated, complicated the whole forfeiture by wrongdoing argument for the hearsay exception. Mm. All right. So that was part of the appeal. And, but the ruling judges on the Supreme Court ruled that even without the forfeiture by wrongdoing, there were other exceptions that applied in this case. And I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not going to try to explain explain it because um, I don't know the, the background of that. But here's what I can tell you about forfeiture by wrongdoing. It's decided on what's called the preponderance of evidence. In other words, if just 51% of the evidence points to somebody's guilt, right, that is the preponderance of evidence. So for Judge Atkins to rule forfeiture by wrongdoing, he had to determine that the prosecution had the preponderance of evidence on their side. But here's the problem with that. His decision to allow the hearsay evidence in was made before the trial had even began, right? So no evidence had been presented. The only evidence he had was what was used to get the indictment, which was false testimony about the phone location data and information on the shell casing, which later proved to be not as conclusive as they had hoped, because the shell casing did not match the type of shell casing normally used in that type of bullet. So you can't really argue, and unfortunately, the appeal attorneys never brought this up, um, mm. but it's hard to argue that they had the preponderance of evidence when all they had was false testimony on phone location data and then a shell casing that they couldn't match to, to, to anything but Kit's gun. Yeah. Right. And just because they matched it to Kit's gun does not mean it held the round that actually was shot cow. We don't yeah. even know that. So, I mean, I, I, I think that the appeal attorney should have also argued this preponderance of the evidence uh, issue, but they didn't. Um, they, they just stuck with what basically the dissenting judges came up with. Here's something that, that Kit came up with. He said he reread the appeal, and he's read it a couple, three, probably five times, probably even more than that at this point. But by the time I got this, this was back in November. A lot of the information is just plain wrong, he says, and their arguments don't seem to make sense. Like the hearsay is allowed because of alt-perp, but the alt-perp is not really allowed because they could plead the fifth. Of course, that's what it was called in the documentation there from the Kentucky Supreme Court, alt-perp, alternate perpetrator. Yeah, perpetrate right, and and I that was in the original appeal, and that was a good argument because um, having Joan not even get on the stand, it did hamper um, the defense's ability to uh, offer an alternate perpetrator. But the judges on the Supreme Court ruled that there was still plenty of opportunity to raise an alternate perpetrator evidence, and that they did put that forth. But um, like I said, that that's something that that goes beyond my my knowledge as far as law and whether yeah. or not 
every time they mentioned Joan Harmon's name, um, there was an hearsay objection. Right. Yes. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember reading something in the appeal, the answer by the Supreme Court. There was something that had been asked, and I think it may have been the phone call to Scott Norsworthy, where it was asked what Joan said when she called him. And from what I understood from the Supreme Court's writings, they never got an answer for that, which hindered the opinion for us of the Supreme Court. But there was an objection, and that was never allowed to be said in court. And, you know, the judge sustained that objection. Yes. Also, you guys, one of the things that Kit brought up, he said, how do you plead the fifth when you aren't charged with a crime? Justin was not even a suspect. EJ was not a suspect, but he got to plead the fifth. Well, according to Barbara Whaley, okay, to tell you how clueless the prosecution was in regards to Joan and her son, all right, and it's on my website, the prosecution wanted Judge Atkins to rule that Joan and EJ had to testify and that they couldn't plead the fifth. Because, and the reason that, that they, they made that argument was because, in their mind, they weren't suspects because Scott Smith and the Hopkinsville police had already cleared them of any involvement. So in their minds, they weren't even a suspect. So they wanted Atkins to rule that they had to testify. And then you see this change occur during the, the trial as evidence is brought forward, where all of a sudden now they see, well, why? Well, yeah, maybe these people are somehow involved and we're going to do everything we can to prevent any of this evidence getting to the jury. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were spring loaded. At the beginning, they want them to testify. And now as the trial proceeds, now all of a sudden they don't want anything to come in regarding Joan or EJ. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And I don't know how Scott Smith could have cleared them when my understanding is they were never even questioned. Even when Joan Harmon took the victim's phone, Pam Phillips, to the AT&T store, their solution to that, the Christian County solution to that, was to drive by her house. But they right. never even questioned her about that. I mean, right. she could have said that, you know, uh, an alien spaceship uh, just came out of the nowhere and and dropped the phone in my yard and Scott Smith and Noiseworthy were, okay, well, that's what we'll write down. Alien spaceship dropped my phone, dropped phone in my yard. I mean, that's how ridiculous that argument was. My goodness. So what do you think, and I know this is an opinion, again, we're not lawyers and this, this is, we have a disclaimer on that, but this is our opinions on this. But why, do you think this was a case of, where they just decided who was guilty and they set out to prove it, or why would they not want to fully investigate and find, you know, there was, in my opinion, you know, Joan was very suspect. There were other suspects. Why did they not question them? Okay. Everything pointed to Kit. All right. He he lived across the street. He had the court martial. There was the alleged affair. He had weapons. Um, he had gaps in his security footage where he could have committed the crimes, according to the prosecution. Right. Right. So once they latched on to that, and then you had you had other things going on. You had the victim's uh, relatives pushing the police 
in one direction, in one direction only. Right. right? Absolutely. Um, so they, their whole investigation was to prove one theory. It wasn't an investigation to solve what had happened. The investigation was designed to show that this person who they believe committed the crime committed the crime. Right. Wow. So the, the entire investigation was confirmation bias. If there was a piece of evidence that confirmed their theory, they went full board with it. If there was information that was exculpatory, they discarded it. Mm. And you know, then once they got to the trial, the prosecution knew that they didn't have a case. So they offered Kit a ridiculous plea deal. All right. You plead guilty to killing three people and we'll give you five to 13 years. All right. So why would you do that if you were convinced that this guy was a monster who killed three people? Right. You wouldn't do that if you knew you had any kind of case at all. Five That's to right. 13 years. The, the plea would have been started at 20 years and, and gone from there. Absolutely. Or 40 years and gone from there. And by the way, another thing that Kit pointed out to me, Cal and Pam's statements were relevant because of the alt perp, again, because of Joan. Joan's the alt perp. So what does that have to do with Cal and Pam? He said he hadn't talked to Cal and Pam in three years. So why would they fear him? Well, I can answer that if you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I've recently heard a tape recording of Cal speaking. Basically, when I listened to that recording, Nothing on that indicated to me that he was scared of Kit. However, just as Joni had a past of doing, she had, when she met Kit, she had told him how horrible and mean and that her supposed ex-husband and was and that he was a trained special forces and he specialized in killing with knives. And he she had Kit convinced that he was still coming after her. In fact, I remember her scaring Kit so bad that he had almost decided he couldn't be with Joan because he was in fear for our kids. So she just did the same thing. She just, I think she convinced Pam and maybe Ed that he was to be feared. I don't think Cal's, and I guess it's disrespectful and I don't mean it to be that way, but I don't think that Cal was scared of Kit at all because I don't think Cal was the person he was made out to be. Right. And I think he, you know what? I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that maybe he was afraid of what would happen if he continued with the charade. You know what I'm saying? That's well, what I think. I think he was afraid he'd be caught because he had tampered with evidence. So two of the people who testified and gave hearsay evidence testified that Calvin had made these his uh, concerns to them approximately two weeks before the murders. Right. So why that's important is two weeks before the murders, Mike Kanzaki and Mary Martins did an ambush interview of Calvin. And in that interview, they threatened to expose his affair with Joan and some other issues about the classified information. Yes. And the day after they did this interview, and they also did the interview with the recording of Joan, the report I have is that Calvin went to the LNR soda bar and confronted Joan, right, like a day or two after this, this interview. And he hadn't even been subpoenaed yet, all right? 
And what I'm thinking is that is the point where all of a sudden his concern and his fear was elevated. Yes. Because it was getting closer to the trial. They had this this interview. He knew that if Pam didn't already know about this alleged affair, it was going to come out at the court martial. So there's a lot of reasons why he could have been concerned and feared. And I want to point out, and as I was going through these documents, in the appeal, it mentioned that Cal said he had found the classified information when he was helping Joan to move. But Joan had actually said, and this is not an appeal, appeal, but the story's conflicted because she said she found the classified information in a tote in the storage building. So their stories didn't even match up. And yeah. I think you're right. I think Cal was, but, but, he was afraid, but I don't think it was a kid. He was afraid he was going to be found out because he was mesmerized by Joan for one thing, and he had gone along with her scheme. And I really think that he was afraid he was going to be found out because, like you said, Mike said to him point blank in that interview, if I find out you have tampered with evidence, we will prosecute you. Yeah, I think that's what scared him the most. I don't think he was afraid of Kit per se. I think he was afraid of the uh, information that was being given to him by those uh, investigators. And that would be Mary Martins and Mike Konzaki, who was sent by Kit over to the house a couple of weeks prior to the murders. Uh, the murders happened two weeks prior to what was supposed to be the first part of December and that court-martial. So all of this was leading up before the court-martial, right? And I do think it's important to mention that because we're talking about this hearsay evidence of these people saying that they were scared, that the victims were scared of Kit, that Mike and Mary Martin's Interview that interview with Cal happened on November 2nd. The phone call that he made to Major Garrett, where he expressed some concerns. Well, he says, You don't even need to call me back. Right. But that's when he made that phone call three days after Mike and Mary had interviewed him. And he basically said, I think I put evidence at your feet. But he also said in that interview, he didn't know if he was going to testify and that he hoped he didn't have to. Yes. Hope they work it out so they don't have to. So it wasn't a That's go. Right. It wasn't a go that he was even going to testify. He didn't know. Hadn't been That's asked. Right. That's an unbelievable statement. I haven't been asked. He said that right in the middle of, you know, again, that was the investigators, though, over. And if you haven't heard that, take a listen. Anyway, the, the concern, I think one of the things that you should probably think about here, too, is that there's statements that are different, okay, from Joan, from you, from what the FBI is telling the Army, and then there's a period of time that at least a couple of months before these things were turned in, okay? So the question is going to be, I'm sure it's going to be, why? Why do those things happen? And I'll explain that on a stand I won't do here. I mean, I, I, I literally, I've given, I've tried being an honest broker. So, <laughs> Joan, Joan never told you where this thing came from. They were kind of discovered by accident. You saw them, you recognized what they were, and then you turned them over to the FBI. Well, and, and that was the, I mean, that's the, the, the cliff notes of it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of time has gone 
since on this. Right. But the reality of it was an honest broker got them. Yeah, because I'm under under the understanding that um, you're planning on testifying in the court martial. Is that correct? Don't know. Haven't been called. Okay. You know. So I mean, I, I hope not. I hope they're realistically. I hope that they can work something out with without you know regard. Okay. So if you do, the only thing is just to testify honestly as to what you know you know. Um, you also have to kind of think about and consider. That there may be some other questions that may be asked of you that might be uncomfortable. Whatever. Um, one of the things, the information that the Army has is the fact that apparently you were having an affair with Joe. Okay. Okay, that's what they have. So what? Okay, well, <laughs> it, it brings in a motive. You know, well, okay. there is, there is, and that's why I say whenever you look at the disc and you look at the information, that stuff stands on its own. That's free from anybody's right. hand. Right, but free, the thing is that you got to think about her too. Is that these but are the no questions? There's no motive. There's no motive there. Well, I, I mean, if the anybody could could come a, come across with a motive with that, if you're having an affair with the woman that's involved in this situation, the, the, the thing is, everybody's going to make that out to be what they will. And okay? that's fine. That's you have, have your I, viewpoint on it. She has her, her viewpoint on it. From the outside in, Calvin, it doesn't look good. Okay, okay? well that's great because the information on the discs. That will speak for itself. I, okay. have no, I have nothing to do with any of that. There was two interviews with Cal. The first one was with Mary Martins and her assistant. Then there was one with Mike and Mary. In the first interview, I have the printed transcript of it. He tells Mary Martins that he took the abuse pictures to Catherine Demps. In the interview with Mike Kanzaki, he says, he didn't know anything about abuse. You might be conflating the the accusation of abuse with the pictures, right? Okay. Joan was showing those pictures of EJ to anyone and everyone in the weeks leading up to the court martial. Um, I mean, I'm really anyone that she came across to. Hey, look at these pictures here. This is my what my my ex husband did to my son. So she was out promoting this abuse long before this court martial. Damn. But okay. The interview with Mike uh, with Mary Martins or what Calvin commented on was that he never witnessed any abuse. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. 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 And I will tell you, since that time of the court martial, which I wish I had known or heard it before, I didn't even think about it. But in talking with some cosmetologists, makeup professionals, they look at that picture and they said, that is makeup. They really believed that was makeup. I'm fairly sure that it, that it wasn't makeup. I'm fairly sure that it was. Those were actual marks and bruises on him. But there are several explanations of how that happened. It looks uh, like a skating board accident to me. I mean, something like that. Like he scraped almost like a, a rug burn. Or... Okay, well, there, there was an incident in Maine with a, a portable toilet that supposedly led to Kit overreacting and causing these injuries to, to EJ. Oh. Right? And so what happened was Hit, EJ and some of his friends were playing around and they knocked over this portable toilet. And then Kit supposedly told him to go back there and, and clean it up, whatever mess they made. And then that was supposedly when he received this beating, all right, from Kit. But the thing is, those injuries to EJ could just as easily have been caused 
by the porta pot, uh, the porta potty falling on top of him. Right? Oh wow! So, but if EJ is complicit in pointing the blame to Kit, there's not a whole lot you can do except deny it. And then the other thing is, so according to EJ, uh, Kit was so upset that he beat him with uh, uh, a belt with a buckle on it, and then. And later, the story evolved to he beat him with a, a belt and a bamboo stick. So, and then, so it, was then a, it was a Roman, Roman whip. whip. Yeah. Well, the Roman whip, it wasn't used in that particular incident. Oh, but that that also uh, evolved. Yeah. But, but here's, a part of the, here's a part of the story that is true. After the porta potty incident, Kit made EJ go outside and cut the grass in front of their their building with a pair of scissors. Okay. Mm. So now we have two sets of discipline. One is I'm going to beat the hell out of you with a bamboo stick. And the other is I want you to go outside and cut grass with a pair of scissors. Now, do you see the disparity between those two levels of of punishment? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And you would do one. You wouldn't say do this and I'm going to beat you. Yeah, I'm going to beat the hell out of you with a bamboo stick. Now go downstairs and cut grass with a pair of scissors. I don't know, man. All of this is just too much. The whole EJ part of this that goes with Joan and Joan, of course, being the all of it. I want to throw in another story. This is in the book. But you remember we were talking about Mary Martin's interview with with, uh, Calvin. In the front yard. Right. And Calvin was telling the story. He says, oh, I remember this one time EJ was out cutting the grass and Kit came out and started yelling at him because he wasn't cutting the grass the way Kit wanted him to cut the grass. You know, I sent Kit a copy of the draft that I was working on at the time that included this story. And he said, so so he goes, here's what actually happened. He said, EJ was cutting grass and he had um, headphones on like he was listening to music or something. Mm-hmm. So he had to yell at him to get his attention. <laughs> the reason he was yelling at him was because EJ was cutting the grass and he wasn't wearing protective eyewear. Oh. So, so that was the whole reason why he was yelling at him. But from Calvin's standpoint, he was yelling at him because he wasn't cutting the grass the right way. Right. Wow. Well, you know, this mm. takes me back a little bit. that, And I didn't learn till. Years later, because they probably knew it wouldn't be a good idea for me to learn. Our youngest child was five and they were camping and Kit caught Joni about to hit him with a shoe. And he caught the shoe before she hit him because she said to Kit that my son, who our son, who was five years old, was touching her daughter inappropriately. I mean, how crazy is that? And they were playing, they were playing, um, oh, uh, they were racing, like the camper was the base and they were racing and Kit walked out and caught her arm right before she hit our son with, so I think if there was any abuse going on, it, it sure wasn't on Chris's part, on Kit's part. It's a good thing so, you didn't know that about that, you know, back in the day. Probably it, a very good thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Joan's still out there. We want to know where. Um, we're. I think we're getting close. But if you want to leave us a, an email and if you want to call us, Stacey, why don't you throw your number out again? I know that a lot of people are starting to call that number. You're starting to get requests and interview requests and that kind of thing, which it's, is great. What is it? We've had tips. So that's great. 931-273-9724. You're welcome to call me. If I don't answer right away, you can send me a quick text and I will call you back. And if you want your identity to be protected, 
you have our word, it will be. But if you can give us any information, I believe with all my heart that on Main Street in Pembroke, in a town like that, although it was raining that day, I do believe there's somebody out there that knows more than they're saying. You know, I think there's more video surveillance than what we've seen as well. And we want to find out if there's any more video surveillance of Pembroke in any way. Maybe you're a neighbor and you just didn't want to get involved and you've been holding on to something for a while. Those kinds of things do happen. We would like to see those kinds of things. If you have any video surveillance and maybe you are just a, uh, maybe you're a business there in Pembroke, but whatever the case may be, we would like to see any video that you have from 2015. Late 2015 is when this happened. Actually, the third week of November, like the week before Thanksgiving, right, is when Mm -hmm. all of this went down. So if you have anything from 2015, a lot of people just, you know, record over, but some people actually, especially the businesses out there, you may actually have a record of that. I walked up and down that street two times. Yeah. And and both times I was looking for surveillance cameras. Yeah. And nothing, and, um, no, no door cameras, nothing, huh? I didn't see a lot even when I went back and I was just back there last month. Wow. Anything interesting last month? Did you get to talk to anyone? Oh, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I went back to do some video, actually. And I, I wanted to get I wanted to do some drone video. And I went to the the water tower. It's it's not that far from the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And I pulled in and I was getting my drone set up and a guy in a, a, a black man in a truck and his dog pulled up. And I explained what I was doing. They said, yeah, no problem. And then after I, I shot my video, I was showing him the video. And he goes, well, what are you going to use this for? And I told him about the book. And then he says, do you know who I am? And I looked at him and he looked familiar. And I, I couldn't place the name. He goes, my name's James Matlock. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Fantastic. So, yeah. So, yeah, he and I had a, 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 an interesting discussion. I'll bet. We are in the um, mood here for some Kentucky Supreme Court goodness, aren't we, Stacey? That's what we're looking yes, for right we now. Yes, we are. Uh, the and I do want to, Emilio, I want to shout out our appreciation to you for, yeah. you know, I want to say that you did not, you didn't have, you didn't take a side. You investigated yourself. You did a lot of work. And from my understanding, you come up with the conclusion that Kit Martin did not do that. Is that correct? I have not seen any evidence that points to it towards his guilt. And none. Okay. There aren't, there isn't any. And your book will be, is it still going to be called I Will Ruin You, as far as you know? The last I heard was the title remains, they changed the subtitle, The Twisted Truth Behind the Kit Martin Murder Case. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a and- YouTube show more than it does a book, but okay. I liked yours, the wrongful convictions with the parentheses around convictions with a plural S. You know, that's something. It really said what it was. Those are two, there's two, the, there's two court cases here. The court martial is so important. Yeah, go ahead, Stacey. I'm sorry. Yeah, as, tell us, Emilio, when do you, I mean, I know you don't have an exact date, but you're expecting your book. February 13th. Goodness, I'm choking. That's just when days away. That is days away. And the 8th through the 12th, keep Kit in your prayers. The 8th through the 12th is when the Kentucky Supreme Court meets again. That is this week. Just keep him in your prayers. We need for this American hero to find his freedom again. If there's anything you can do to help us, please reach out to us. Free Kit Martin Podcast at gmail.com. 
Next week on the Free Kit Martin podcast, we're going to be joined by the court martial lawyer. We'll go over it all with Jamie. We'll see you next week on the Free Kit Martin podcast. And thank you. On behalf of Stacey Stone, I'm Crystal McKenzie. We appreciate you listening. Remember, hashtag Free Kit Martin.